These are encouragements, aren't they? Look at what he says in verse 56. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Look at verse 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory. We saw that word victory three times. Once in verse 54, and once in verse 55, and once in verse 57. Thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, there we go. Why is it, what's it there for? Well, all the things that we have learned about this resurrection that's going to take place, these great and glorious truths that have been revealed to us about this resurrection, now, in verse number 58, we are given an exhortation. We are encouraged. We are exhorted to a life of faithfulness with the knowledge of knowing that we are going to have victory in Jesus Christ. We already have it because we've trusted Him as our Savior, but then the ultimate victory of spending eternity with Him and having that glorified body when we meet the Lord in the air. So Paul gives an exhortation here to the church of Corinth, the saints there at Corinth, and we'll talk about that here in just a moment. He gives that exhortation which is... A result, I'm exhorting you, I'm encouraging you because it's the result of the victory that you have in Jesus Christ. Because of the victory you have in Jesus Christ, he says, you need to be steadfast. You need to be unmovable. You need to be always abounding in the work of the Lord and you need to get to a place where you realize that your labor is not in vain, Paul says. And all of this is made possible because of the victory that we have in Jesus Christ. So there's three things I want you to notice about this verse today. And I want to use this message today really as a springboard for our theme this year of the thought of always abounding. Let's be always abounding in the work of the Lord as Christians this year. The first thing I want you to notice about this verse, number one, I want us to notice the people of the passage. The people of the passage. Who is this passage uh, written to? Who is this verse directed to? Well, we see that in the first few words of the verse. We, saw, we noticed the word therefore, but then look at the words that come right after that. He says, my beloved brethren. So who are the people of this passage? Who is Paul talking to? Well, first of all, I want us to notice the word my. Paul is letting us know there is a personal relationship between him and these people that are there at the church of Corinth. He says, my beloved brethren. Aren't you thankful that we would be able to even say that of one another today? If we're Christians, the brothers and sisters that we have in Jesus Christ, that personal relationship that we have with one another, isn't that comforting today? To say that we can come together as brothers and sisters in, in, in Christ and, and, we, and we can ha have that personal relationship, that personal fellowship with one another, but then think about the truth of that personal relationship that we have with Jesus Christ as well. That's what he goes on to talk about. So he says, my, again, that personal relationship that he has with them. And then he uses the word beloved. My beloved brethren. It shows to us the great love that Paul had for them. He had concern for them. As a matter of fact, if you know anything about the book of uh, Corinthians, you know that these are Christians that leaned more towards living in a carnal way. So Paul was trying to encourage them, wasn't he? He's saying, hey, let's, let's get out of this carnal way of living. Let's be steadfast. Let's be unmovable because of this victory that God has promised us, the glorified body that we're going to get to have one day. Let's be steadfast. Let's be unmovable. Let's always be abounding in the work of the Lord. He had a love for them. He had a concern for them. Hey, let's have a love and a concern for one another, right? As we serve the Lord together this year, let's have a, love, a genuine love 
and a genuine concern for one another, not just perhaps in words, but uh, to, 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 to love in deed as well. To, to love as Christ would love, sacrificial love one for another. And that's what he says about the people of this passage. They were people that he loved. They were people that he was concerned for. But then he goes on to say that the next, the next word is the most important part as, we kind of, as we're trying to describe the people of this passage. He says, my, again, the personal relationship, beloved, the love and concern that he has for them. But then he uses the word brethren, which means that he's referring to individuals that are saved. He's talking to people that are Christians. So he's talking to the saints that are there at Corinth. Not just any group of people. Not just a mixture of those that are believers and unbelievers. Those that are Christians and those that are not Christians. He says this specific exhortation, this encouragement is for those that are saints at Corinth who are believers. So let me say this before we go any further. This message the thoughts that, are going to, that we're going to give here about this victory that we have in Jesus Christ and the exhortation and the encouragement that Paul gives us, would, we would not be able to apply them fully until we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so maybe there's somebody here today that's never put their faith and trust in Christ. We, you wouldn't be able to put your name here as, as one of the people that, are, that this passage is presented for. But if you know Christ as your Savior, he's talking about the brethren. He's talking about believers, those that are Christians. We can make application of this today. But if you do not know Christ, I encourage you to come to know him today. What a great start to the new year in the year of 2023 to humble your heart and to say, I realize that I'm a sinner. I believe in what Jesus did for me when he died for me and he was buried and he rose again. And I realize there's no way I can pay the price for uh, that, that's been placed upon me because of my sin, but Jesus paid the price for me, and all that I have to do is reach out and receive that gift. So who are the people of this passage? Well, he says, my beloved brethren, they're Christians. They're those that know for sure they're on their way to heaven. They have their ho the hope of heaven, and they know they have victory in Christ. They know that this resurrection is going to take place for them someday. And by the way, for some that are in here today, this resurrection may take before you even may take place in your life before you even leave this earth through death. The Bible says those bodies that are in the grave, again, we could go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, a parallel passage there, where he says, those that are alive and remain, those that are in the grave, their, their bodies are going to rise first, but then those that are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So whether that resurrection takes place because our body's in the grave or we're still alive, for the Christian, we have this hope, don't we? And we have the promise of this victory. So number one, the people of the passage. But number two, I want you to notice the principles of this passage. Number one, the people. He says, brethren, he's talking to Christians. If you're not saved, come to know Christ today. If he's speaking to your heart, do not reject him. Do not put him off. Do not put that, uh, that urging in your heart off, but trust Him today. But then the principles of this passage, and I believe we break it down into just a few different words He gives us here. Look back, if you would, at 1 Thessalonians chapter 15, again in verse 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved brother, now notice the wording here, and we're going to break these down for just a moment. He says, number one, be ye steadfast, then unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. I think the second half of this verse tells us the principles of this passage. The principles are this. Hey, if you're a Christian and you have hope of the resurrection and you have victory in Jesus Christ, then he says this. You need to be steadfast. You need to be unmovable and always abounding in the work of the Lord. What's that word steadfast in the passage mean? It has the idea of not turning aside. Just to be steadfast. Don't turn aside from the faith. 
Don't turn aside from what you believe. To have Christian perseverance. I like that word perseverance. I mean, persevere as a Christian. He says that's what we're to be like as a Christian. We're to be steadfast. To have Christian perseverance in our life. To be able to stand firm. We sang it this morning in the choir. Be strong in the Lord. Stand firm. Standing against the fiery darts of the, of the wicked one who wants to defeat us and who wants to destroy us. As Christians, we are to stand firm. We're to be firmly fixed in our convictions. What we believe, the Bible says, we ought to live by it and we shouldn't stray from it. He says we're to be steadfast. Now, I know our world is changing things, but as God's people, we should not be changing. We should stay firm and be steadfast in the things that God has called us to do as Christians. That word steadfast is actually a very unique word in this verse. It has the idea of, the, of, of a word that we would use, the word seated. Now you are seated today, aren't you? You would say you're up here, you're standing up there and you're, you're preaching, but here in our pews we are seated. So the word steadfast has the idea of being seated, meaning that we are to be rested and settled about the truths that we find of resurrection in this passage but then also the other teachings and truths all throughout the Bible. We're to be rested in that. Just like you would say, as I'm seated, I'm rested, so to say. By the way, don't make it so that you are fully rested. All right? Make sure you're staying awake now. But I'm seated, which means I'm resting or I'm settled. I've got myself settled in my pew. I had to say that a lot when I taught the children. Now, settle down, right? Get settled in your pew now, or get settled in your seat, I'd have to say to them. But, but, but we, we would understand that with the idea of, of being seated. We are, we're resting, we're settled. That's what he means when he says to be steadfast. Let's be rested. Let's be settled in the truths that we read about the resurrection, Paul says, but then other truths and other principles that we find throughout the Word of God. Let's be steadfast to Christ. Let's be steadfast to His Word. Again, firmly fixed on our convictions about Christ and our, our, our convictions about His Word. And then our convictions and being steadfast with the idea of holy living as well. That we'd be separated from the world in our living. We'd live a holy life as the year of 2023 is approached here. And as God gives us opportunities to serve Him, that we'd live a separated, we'd live a holy life unto the Lord. But then notice the next word as we see the principles of this passage. He says we're to be steadfast, but then look at the word unmovable. Unmovable. Has the idea of being unchanging. Unchanging. Not shaken by things that come into our lives. Not shaken by trials. Can I say in the year of 2023, and I already said it last week. I mentioned this last week as we gave our New Year's message last Sunday morning. In the year of 2023, I can guarantee you that every one of us will have a trial or trials. We will go through them, won't we? You have no idea what they're going to be right now. It might be a financial It might be some type of a spiritual challenge or trial that you go through. Many of us that are sitting in here will have some type of a physical trial that we will have to face. That requires a frequent doctor's visit or perhaps a surgery. And we're saying we're going to go through those trials. Well, he's saying in our spiritual walk with the Lord and in our closeness to the Lord to be unmovable, not to be shaken by the trials that we go through, not to be shaken by discouragements that come our way. There's going to be times this year where you're going to have discouragements come. 
There's going to be times where you'll face the discouragements of people that will let you down. There'll be people that'll let you down. There'll be people that you would, you would say, I just, I just wish perhaps they'd do things a different way. And, 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 they, and they live life their way and, and we're desiring for them to live perhaps a little closer to what God would have them to live like. And we'll face some discouragements. But he says, hey, let's be unmovable. Let's be unchanging. Let's not be shaken by that. Listen, let's not be shaken by disappointments that we'll have this year. Discouragements and disappointments. And then let's not be shaken by things that others around us do. You know, we're going to have things that we'll face in the year of 2023 that others will do. And we would, again, goes back to the same thought I just said. We may, maybe not perhaps understand why the or choices that are made or things that are going around, uh, on around us in the world around us today. But just not to be shaken by it, to be unmovable. And then can I say this? One of the greatest challenges you'll face that you'll have to make sure that you're unmovable and unchanging in your life this year is when you face the challenges the devil will bring. He's your adversary, isn't he? Again, we've said it already today. He's as a roaring lion. He's walking about. He's seeking whom he may devour. And you're going to have those challenges that the devil will send your way this year, those fiery darts we talked about. But God said it is possible to stand and it's possible to be strong. I want you to take just a moment to look at a passage of Scripture that Brother Terry read there just a minute ago in Psalm 1. I'm not going to read the whole psalm. He read through the psalm for us this morning. But in Psalm 1 it says this, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. All right, the blessed man is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly and stand in the way of sinners, sit in the seat of the scornful. But his delight, he says, is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Now here's the verse we want to concentrate on. The first three verses in Psalm 1, by the way, Psalm 1 would be a good one to memorize. The first three verses in Psalm 1 deal with the ungodly man, or excuse me, deal with the blessed man, I'm sorry. And the last three verses deal with the ungodly man. Notice what is true of the blessed man. Now, when I'm reading verse number 3, in your mind and your heart, would you please be mindful of 1 Corinthians 15, 58 when it says be unmovable. Look at what it says in verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Unmovable, right? Unchanging. Notice what he says, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. That's a tree that's not dead, right? It's, it's, it's a fruitful tree, right? We'll talk about that in just a moment. But he says this tree's unmovable. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Let's be unmovable like this tree that's planted by the rivers of water. We sing it in our hymn book. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the waters. I shall not be moved. God doesn't want us to be easily moved. He wants to be unmovable, unchanging. Look with me, if you would, a parallel passage to this. I love this. Jeremiah chapter 17. Would you look at Jeremiah chapter 17, and when you found that, would you look at verse 7 and verse number 8? Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 7 and 8. Would you be mindful of what we just read in Psalm 1 verse number 3 and what we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 58 about being unmovable? And let's notice what it says in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 7 and 8. It says this, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Now watch verse 8. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters and that spreadeth out her roots by the river and shall not see when heat cometh but her leaf shall be green 
and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. It won't have to worry about drought. It's always going to be fruitful and bear fruit. That's the tree that is unmovable and God makes it so that that is an illustration for our lives. We're to be like that tree that's planted by the rivers of water. Would you look with me real quickly at Ephesians chapter number 4? Ephesians chapter 4, and when you found that, look down at verse number 14. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 14. Now when I read this verse, think about, consider we're talking about being unmovable. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 14 says this, That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. What's he saying? He's saying, let's not be tossed to and fro. Man, the wind that'll just blow something back and forth. He said, let's not be like that. Let's be like the tree that's planted so solid that it is unmovable. Now, back in this last windstorm here, I had a big tree in my yard fall. But that was a dead tree. God says he wants us to be unmovable like that tree that's planted by the rivers of water, that fruitful tree. He wants us to be unmovable in our lives. Look at one more verse, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 23. Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 23. He says this, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled. Hey, as Christians, we're to be grounded and settled. Are you grounded in what you believe? Are you settled in what you believe? And would you, say, would you be able to say with assurance today that nobody will be able to get me to change my mind on that which I believe? Or are you back and forth? Are you to and fro? He says we're to be grounded and settled. Look at verse 23 again. And be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Hey, I'm a minister of the gospel. He says, I know what I believe. I've heard it. Now I'm preaching it and I'm going to stand by it, Paul says. I'm going to be unmovable. Can I say this? A grounded Christian is hard you stand in your faith today? Or can individuals get you to easily sway? You know, we need people in this world to stand for God. Man, we live in a world where everybody, you know, we, we see so often individuals that are just tossed to and fro with things. We need people to stand and to take a stand for the Lord and to be unashamed of it. We need the, the, the teenagers that are sitting in here to say, I'm going to take a stand in my school. Have, have adults that are in the workplace say, I'm going to take a stand in my workplace. And when other people around me are not living the way that they should, it doesn't mean I have to compromise and I don't have to give in to it. I can live a holy and a separated life under the Lord and I can stand firm in what I believe. Let's not let the world change us. Let's not let the devil change us. Let's not compromise today, but be unmovable. And then notice what he says back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And verse number 58, he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Now notice this, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It has the idea of overflowing in the work of the Lord. Now let me ask you, do you want to be that kind of a Christian? Where you're just overflowing in the work of the Lord. You're always abounding in the work of the Lord. And can I say it this way? Let's not do as little as we can for God. Let's do as much as we can for God. It's not about saying, I'm just trying to get away with the bare minimum. As little as possible as I can do for the Lord. No, let's do as much as we possibly can do for Him. Not, not stopping and starting 
and getting hot and then getting cold again and being in and being out. But let's be always abounding in the work of the Lord. And can I say we have a perfect example of this in the example of Jesus Christ. He was always abounding in the work of the Lord. As a matter of fact, he came to do the work that God called him to do. And remember he even says in the Gospels, the Gospel accounts, we, we, we know that he says that I came to finish the work that God gave me to do. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. God wants your life to be a life of service. Meaning, I'll say it this way, a lifetime of service. Not just hit and miss. He wants you to serve him with your life. Not a moment here and there, but a day-by-day thing. To say I'm faithful in my service to the Lord. One of the purposes of the Christian life is to serve the Lord faithfully. To always be abounding in the work of the Lord. So let's be diligent. That's a good word when we think of being always abounding. To overflow in His work. But to be diligent to be faithful at it. Let's be diligent to do His will. Let's be diligent in the year of 2023 to promote His glory. Let's be diligent in the year of 2023 to advance His kingdom so that more people will come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior because of the testimony and the influence of you and I and our witness. Let's be always abounding in the work of the Lord. I notice, we notice how He says those words after the words always abounding. Notice He says, in the work of the Lord. What the Lord requires us to do. What the Lord commands us to do. That's the work of the Lord, right? What He requires, what He commands from us. The duties that we have as a Christian. And then, by the way, the work of the Lord can also include what He calls you to do. You know, God gives us some clear commands of what He wants us to do. And then there are people who I believe with all my heart are called in special ways to do special tasks for God. As perhaps God called you to do something and you have been unwilling to surrender. And you're just holding out saying, well, maybe at some point God will leave me alone about it. God's called you perhaps in a certain way. Let's yield to it for his honor and glory so that we can get done what he calls us to do. And then can I say this? He doesn't just command us to do things and he doesn't just call us to do things without his help. Isn't it great to know that what he commands you to do and what he calls you to do, he'll give you the strength to equip you to do it. He, he, he's, not, he's, not, he's not calling people that are already equipped. Isn't it great that he calls people and then he equips them? He just wants you to be available. He just wants you to be willing to do whatever it is that he'd ask you to do. So let's always abound. Let's always be abounding in faithfulness. Let's always be abounding. And by the way, if there's, if there's something that every one of us can be in here, it's faithful. Every one of us can be faithful. We talked yesterday in our men's prayer time. We talked about how that perhaps not everybody is going to be a person that provides special music. We, we talked about this. We read a little, a, little, um, a little article yesterday before we began our prayer time. And the article said that not everybody's going to be able to provide special music. Not everybody will play the piano. Not everybody has the physical ability to do such and such. Whatever it is, you fill in the blank. But we were, we were at our men's prayer breakfast. So the challenge for us was everybody, though, can pray. You may not be able to do what everybody else can do, but everybody can pray. And can I say this? You may not be able to do what everybody else can do in the year 2023, but you can be faithful. You can be faithful to whatever it is that God has called you to do. So let's be always abounding in faithfulness. Let's be always abounding in fruitfulness. 
Let's be fruitful like that tree that's planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. The leaf that doesn't wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Let's be fruitful in our lives. Let's bear fruit for Jesus. We talked about that a little bit last Sunday, didn't we? Bearing fruit for the cause of Jesus Christ. And then can I say this? Not only always abounding in faithfulness and fruitfulness, but let's be always abounding in fainting not. Let's not faint in the year of 2023. Whatever God starts in your life, let's get it done for His honor and glory. Let's be always abounding. You know, the Bible tells us that verse that we're probably perhaps so familiar with, that we're not to be weary in well-doing. For in due season, He says, ye shall reap if ye what? Faint not. Don't, don't fall out by the way and, and don't just quit on the Lord. Let's be faithful. Let's be fruitful. Let's be fainting not in the work of the Lord. And then we'll finish this quickly. We saw the people of the passage. We saw the principles of the passage. But we'll close with this. I want us to notice the promise of the passage. The promise of the passage this morning. Boy, this ought to encourage you today as we finish up here. Look at the very end of the verse. It says this. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Now as, as I mentioned to you a moment ago, this is my life verse, one of, the most, one of the most favorite parts in my heart in this verse is the end of this verse, where he says, whatever I do for God is not in vain. You know why I appreciate that part of the verse? Because sometimes the old devil will make us feel like it's in vain. Sometimes the old devil will make us feel like it's not worth it what you're doing for Christ. But God assures us, doesn't he? God gives us a promise. For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Take that little phrase, for as much as you know. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, knowing this. Because you know this. He says, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Because you know the victory that you have in Jesus Christ. Because you know that one day you're going to be resurrected. If you're a Christian, your body is going to have you're going to have that glorified body and get to meet the Lord in the air. Because you've been steadfast, because you've been unmovable, because you've been always abounding in the Lord, work of the Lord, he says your labor will not be in vain. Now, if it wasn't for what we read of the resurrection in verse 51 through verse number 57, I think we would all be in, in, in agreement today that everything we do for the Lord would be in vain. But because of the victory of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise of that victory of our resurrection to come, it is not in vain what we do for the Lord. Oh, may God remind us of that today, that whatever we do for Christ is not in vain. We know our labor is not in vain. It's not empty. It's not a waste of time. Can I say this? The work of the Lord does require time. But whatever, you whatever time you give for the work of the Lord, it is not a waste of your time. The work of the Lord requires energy, but it is not a waste of your energy. The work of the Lord requires money, but it is never a waste of your money when you're always abounding in the work of the Lord. He said it's not empty, it's not in vain. Because of the promise that he gives us. And by the way, there's encouragement for that promise, isn't there? And by the way, there are promises all throughout the word of God that apply, to, apply this principle that whatever we do for God is not in vain. Think about that, the, the promise that's given that God, when God says, my word shall not return void. What is he saying there? It will, not, it will never be in vain. 
if God's word is preached, if God's word is taught, if it goes through to people that hear it and they uh, 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 and their heart is stirred by it, it will not go. It will not return void. Man, isn't that a wonderful promise that God gives us? A wonderful encouragement. So it's not going to be in vain because of the promises of God. But then, can I say this? It's not going to be in vain also because of the reason behind it. The gospel is the reason of why we do what we do. And whatever we do when we give out the gospel, it is not in vain. You know, the Bible does say this, though, in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 14. I'm going to read this. And if Christ be not risen, then our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. And I say this, if Christ didn't rise, yes, your faith would be vain. And our preaching today would be vain. Down in verse number 17, it says very similar words. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. But we've got good news today. Jesus did rise, didn't he? And so what we do is not in vain. The reason behind why we do makes it so it's not in vain. And the reason behind what we're doing is the gospel. So that the gospel can be furthered. So that others can have the opportunity to hear the glorious news of the gospel. And then can I say this? It's also everything we do for Christ as we're always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's not in vain because of experience as well. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, experience of what God has already done in your life and what he will do in the future. And what he's done in the lives of others as well. Think about how we have example after example after example of the fact that what we're doing for Christ is not in vain. When, when a soul is saved, we realize again an experience or an example of the fact that what we do for Christ is not in vain. When a saint is edified, we have an experience, we have another example of the fact that what we're doing for Christ is not in vain. Meaning I'm saying this way, what happens in the past in your life, what God has already done for you will speak to the future of what he is yet to do. What lies ahead as we look at examples of what God has already done? What makes us think that he can't do it in the future? And that the principle applies, the promise applies, that it will not be in vain. And then can I say this? It's also not in vain because whatever we do for God pleases him, doesn't it? You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter number 12 that we're to serve the Lord, surrender our lives to him, yield our lives to him, and because it is our reasonable service, Romans 12 says. It's our reasonable service, which means it's only right to do it. It pleases God because of all that he has done for us. It's only right that we would yield our lives to him and be faithful to him. And then can I say this? It's also not in vain because of blessings that God has for you. Not only the blessings that God has for you today, which makes what we do for Christ profitable and certainly not in vain, but then can we think about the rewards that lie ahead? Oh, it's not in vain because one day I'm going to get to stand before the Lord and He is going to reward me for my labor. And then we get to take those rewards and cast them at the feet of Jesus. Because we are not worthy, but He is so worthy. I'm going to read a verse. It'll be the last verse I read tonight or this morning. And I want this to remind us of the reward that awaits us. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 10, the Bible says this. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Oh, God would be a very unrighteous God if he would forget the work and the labor of our love. But he says, I'm not an unrighteous God that would forget that. But yes, you will be rewarded for what you do for Christ based upon the motive of why you did what you did for him. 
Why did you do what you did for Christ? God says, I have a reward that awaits you, a crown that awaits you again that we gloriously get to cast at His feet. So we're laboring, and it's not in vain because it is worth it all, isn't it? And by the way, it will be worth it all, as the hymn writer said, when we see Jesus. It'll be worth everything you did. When you labored for Him, when you didn't feel so good. When you labored for Him when you were a little discouraged and you didn't feel like doing it, it will be worth it all. But not only will it be worth it all, but Christ is worthy of everything we do for Him. Look at the very end of the verse. The Bible says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. Notice the last three words. In the Lord. As we labor in the Lord, as we work in the Lord, it's not in vain. Our work that we do in His name and in accordance to His will, in dependence upon His power, in prayer for His help, in desire for His honor and glory in all that we labor and do for Him. It's not in vain in the Lord. Now let's notice today the people of this passage. If you're not a Christian today, if you've never put your faith and trust in God, Regardless of your good works, regardless of what you've done on your own, you've got to come to Christ not based upon what you do, but what has already been done. Have you come to Christ and trusted Him as your Savior that way? Are you one of the people of this passage? And then we notice the principles. Let's be steadfast. Let's be unmovable. This year, let's always be abounding in the work of the Lord, overflowing in God's work. And then... Let's be reminded of the promise that it's not in vain. Whatever you do for Christ is not in vain. Oh, what a great promise that this passage teaches us today. Now, as we draw to the end of our preaching time and our service, perhaps God has spoken to your heart in some way. I trust that in just a moment when we have our hymn of invitation, at the start of this year, let's get off this year started in the way that God would have us to start this year. If you're not saved, would you, would you respond? We're going to have people that will be at the front that can take the Bible and show you how you can know Jesus as your Savior. Maybe there's somebody that's sitting here today and they would say, I'm really living in disobedience because I've been saved, but I've never followed the Lord in the step of believer's baptism. And you can respond and let me know that. Let one of our workers at the front know that so that we can arrange a time for you to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Maybe there's somebody that would say uh, today that God has spoken to your heart in some way in the message and you say, I need to come and talk to the Lord and pray and, and, and speak to Him based upon the way He's spoken to me today and make application, put into practice what I've heard today. Let's always be abounding in the work of the Lord. We're going to be encouraged much by this this year. Let's start off in the way that God has spoken to us today, doing everything He'd have for us to do. Father, I pray that as You've spoken to our hearts today, Lord, that we'd be able to humble ourselves for just a few moments, Lord, and pray and speak.